intercepted by Sapong. It's a two-on-two -two for Nashville. Sapong 40 yards away, 30 yards away. Gives to Mukhtar, returns to Sapong, turns, fires, scores! It's him again! Well, welcome everybody to the Club and Country podcast. We are the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two guys who've covered the club longer than anyone in the respective disciplines. I am back from my journey, 16 states, two provinces, lots of gas fill-ups, lots of Raffi songs in the car to keep the kid happy who just turned one last week. I am Wes Bowling, and I'm happy, Tim, to be back alongside you for the show. And I am Tim Sullivan, not Tim Horton, unfortunately, for where you just came from. You're the second best <laughs> Tim. You get the silver medal of Tim's. Absolutely. I'm the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, which is the longest running website covering Nashville Soccer Club. Special thanks to Moon Taxi for the music for ESPN 94.9. For the highlight you just heard of CJ Sapong's goal against Orlando. You're going to hear another one later that might not be quite so happy. And special, special thanks to Braden Gall for filling in the last two weeks. An admirable job. I was a little bit worried, honestly. You know, I was the Yonder Cadiz that came out of the lineup, and CJ Sapong apparently came in. He did a great job, and now I'm hoping I can get my job back. So, Tim, if you choose to kick me out of the striker spot, I certainly understand. Yeah, well, so I was like the Randall Leal, I guess. I had to be like, okay, I got to adjust to a new striker next to me here. So I like to think I did a good job, at least. You did a great job. And we promise not to, as some are accusing Nashville SCF, play to the level of our competition. No matter who is in the lineup, we will bring you <laughs> a premium product here on the 440 Sports Network. It was a 1-1 draw for Nashville SC against Orlando last week, following up the 5-2 win over DC United. So a quick four-point homestand against a couple of teams in playoff position. Nashville still unbeaten at home. But, Tim, you love to qualify that word unbeaten and call it virtually meaningless if you're not taking the three instead of the one. And, and Orlando, a, a very good team, a result that would have looked pretty good going into it. But the way it happened, Nashville still wondering what if after conceding a set piece and squandering another lead. Yeah, it is once again a set piece, but even with Walker Zimmerman in the lineup, um, it must be noted that he wasn't to blame on the play, and Nashville SC will still continue to regret a very specific part of its overall resume, which is giving up those set pieces, and particularly to teams, which this Orlando team was not quite the Orlando team we've seen for a lot of the year. They were a little bit shorthanded, and so that's why Nashville will especially regret uh, settling for a draw against them in Nissan Stadium. And we'll get to that set-piece discussion in just a bit. It is five points dropped now from winning positions in the club's last three matches, if you go back to that, of course, Inter-Miami defeat, of which we will not speak any further. Still, though, just seven drop points from winning positions all season for Nashville SC, as they have specialized in holding on to those leads when they've gotten them. Of late, that trend has started to slip a little bit. But now the attention turns to a team that has actually also pulled off that feat in Nashville already this year, and that is Atlanta United. Yeah, well, Let's not forget that Nashville C was on the other end of that transaction in the ATL already this year, coming from two goals down to earn the draw, courtesy of Hani Mukhtar scoring twice um, after the 80th minute. So both of these teams have comeback draws in the rivalry just this year. But when you look at it, Nashville's going to regret the one that Atlanta got. They'll obviously be very happy about the one they got in Atlanta. But when you look at what's happened to NSC lately, it's something to, to worry about for sure. It is a very volatile Atlanta team, uh, mercurial, I guess. And right now they have heated up. They are unbeaten in five and will present quite a challenge for the boys in gold. We'll look ahead to that match. We'll also today in our early shout, handicap all of Nashville's remaining matches. There's a, a tactic that Mike Jacobs in the front office used before the season. They sit down and they mark out expected points from each match all season long to come to their ultimate goal for the season. Well, we are in a sense, halfway through the year, a little further along, but at the All-Star break, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to look at each remaining Nashville SC match quickly and handicap where the boys in gold need to be and what they need to get from each of those contests to reach the objectives that they want to reach. Then when we embrace consensus, let's go to midseason superlatives. Again, we're playing with the idea of being halfway through the year, but as we are at the All-Star break, let's look back at who has excelled, some awards named after some prominent Nashville SC icons of the past. I think you'll enjoy that segment. Then we'll get into the mailbag, where I think there's a lot of understanding and appreciation of the fact that this is a very strong club this year, but with expectations pressure and a lot of questions about whether tactical changes are necessary to win on the road where Nashville C has not been particularly good this year and some questions about Ake Loba and what role the designated player and record signing will play 
in that resurgence and in the rest of the season. Then we'll go outside in. We'll talk All-Star Game briefly. And also the youngsters are getting going. NSC Academy getting away underway soon. We'll get into that before blowing our final whistle. So now it's time for the early shout. Pereira addresses the ball. Since it's a Carlos header goal, Orlando City right back into it. Purple rain. The Lions strike with Antonio Carlos. So going into things, a draw with Orlando would be considered a positive result, but that set piece happened. Another set <laughs> piece conceded. Another lead conceded, the second in three matches. And so, Tim, when you combine that with the stakes involved, a true six-point type of match mm-hmm. against a team neck and neck with Nashville in the standings, the team will be looking at the table and doing the math and wondering what could have been if they hadn't given that one up. Absolutely. Orlando was without Luis Nani. They were without Daryl DK. Daryl DK wasn't a surprise. He got hurt in the Gold Cup with the United States men's national team. But they were with, also without Pedro Galese. So the boys in gold got a result. But given that the version of Orlando that they played was not last year's Eastern Conference finalist, it was without probably its three best players, if we're being pretty realistic about it. Doesn't leave a good taste in the mouth, and especially the fact that it was yet another set piece. Um, Antonio Carlos getting behind CJ Sapong and and scoring that goal. It's something that um, obviously you can't get too up or down about any individual play, but when it is the difference between all three points and just a single point, Nashville's going to be pretty upset about it. And if there's any question about how the team felt about conceding, Look at the numbers they threw into the attack late in that match when they mm-hmm. just poured it on, and it looked like a team down, uh, trying to claw a point out of it rather than a team with the one point going for the three. Tim, they threw everything at that match, almost at the expense of, of risking a, an Inter-Miami type of situation on the other end. Yeah, it was a, a situation where you could tell that Nashville knew what they were going up against, which was, again, a, a slightly weakened Orlando team. Nashville knew what they had in the chamber, which was a lot of really talented offensive substitutes they just couldn't get the job done and that's certainly grounds for frustration for nashville sc fans for sure they have to be able to get that done but at the same time at least you're seeing the team that wants to get it done which maybe wasn't always the case last year the first year of usl and maybe even at times the second year of usl wasn't always the case so it's, it's a positive from that perspective but it is uh, the slimmest of silver linings i guess you could say and, and the biggest uh, factor that, that darkens the viewpoint of Nashville SC supporters right now is, is the struggle with set pieces. For today's Gold Nugget, we'll give you a little bit of perspective about the frequency of these concessions, how that stands up to the rest of Major League Soccer, and then what the heck Nashville can do, if anything, to stop the bleeding on set pieces for an otherwise ironclad yeah. defense. Uh, Nashville, believe it or not, It's six set-piece goals conceded, ranked just ninth worst in Major League Soccer. It feels like there have been more than that. It feels like Nashville should be toward the top of the league in set-pieces conceded. But the reason I think it feels that way is it's a high proportion for a team that's allowed the third-fewest goals in the league. In fact, 32% of the goals that Nashville has conceded have come off set-pieces. And Tim, that's the third-highest rate in Major League Soccer. Yeah, I think there's another reason it feels particularly negative, which is you can draw a hard line in the schedule where Walker Zimmerman first uh, left for the birth of his son and then got injured going to the United States men's national team for the Gold Cup. All of them except for one have happened since then. So that's another reason that it hurts. But from an expected goals perspective, it's 18 XG against all year and five of those have come on set pieces alone. So this isn't last year's elite defense in all phases. And I think set pieces are a particular step back for a team that was absolutely incredible on them last year. So you're implying causation then with Zerman's absence. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it. A lot of it is is just being uh, a guy who has the ability to feel where the ball is going to come and, and has the athletic ability to jump up and get his head on a ball. It's something that Nashville knows that Jack Mayer will be able to do right now. He might not quite be there. Of course, when you look at Orlando specifically, he was on the field when that set piece goal to Antonio Carlos was given up. So he's not a panacea for this team by any stretch of the imagination. But if you look at some of the other goals that have been given up over the course of his absence, yeah, I think if you put Walker in there, you'd feel a lot better. Panacea, the word of the day on club and country. Uh, so as we mentioned, third highest set piece concession rate in MLS when you compare set piece goals allowed to total goals. Atlanta, as we look ahead to the next match, has allowed even more than Nashville on set pieces. Eight, which is fourth most in Major League Soccer. And just to compare that rate, I mentioned 32% of Nashville's goals conceded have come off set pieces. The average in Major League Soccer, 
is 20%. That's the percentage of goals in the league this season that have come off of set pieces. So reason for concern moving forward now that Walker's back, do you expect that? I know he's not the ultimate panacea, but, but should we expect the leak to be tightened just a little bit? Yeah, I think if you expect it to be completely cleaned up, we saw over the midweek that that's not going to be the case. But I think we also saw a reason to believe that it's going to be better than it was against um, Toronto at home, than it was against Toronto on the road, for that matter, than it was against some of the other games in the time in between. Yes, the Orlando set piece given up was frustrating. It was not individually on him. And there are going to be situations where he can't do it all. But there are situations where he's a better piece than what we saw over the past few weeks. And that's not a a knock on any of the other guys who are in the lineup. There's a reason this guy was the defensive player of the year. And Walker, among the top players in MLS last season in both headed clearances and headed goals, still looking for the production. But uh, certainly Nashville hoping they can get the clearances out of him as well off the the big blonde locks of the MLS All-Star. All right. So next up. As the front office and as Gary Smith surely sit down and discuss the same issue that we just talked about, which is clearing up these set piece challenges, there's another thing that they've been discussing throughout the year. And if you're unaware of this, we mentioned it in the open, but at the beginning of each season, Mike Jacobs, the front office staff, the the coaching staff sit down and they evaluate each match. And they assign a point value they expect to get out of it. And this is something Mike's talked about publicly once or twice. Mm-hmm. But but they will say this is a, a match where we would you know accept a minimum of one point. Uh, we, we'd accept three. And there are some where they will say you know it, this is a zero pointer where anything we get is considered a bonus. Now let's give the the quick qualifier. That does not mean they're not trying to win every match. It's just a matter of projecting a reasonable number of points by the end of the season. And a few weeks ago when Mike Jacobs went on uh, 94.9 and had a discussion about this, he said at that point the club was tracking exactly with where it wanted to be to reach the goal that it wanted to reach. So we thought we would do the same thing here for the remainder of the season. There are 14 matches left, four at home, a whopping 10 on the road because of this unbalanced schedule. Thank you, Tennessee Titans. Thank you, Garth Brooks, man. Uh, well, man, I'll tell you what. He had some friends in very low places after they were unable <laughs> to uh, hear that concert because, of course, the thunder rolled and the lightning struck. Oh, my goodness. This guy is a pro. Well, the, the problem was they would have stayed all night. They weren't going down until the sun comes up. <laughs> oh, Tim has just pulled out his phone. Was that you're calling Braden to come back in? And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wes, out of here. We need a backup, right? right Well, if tomorrow never comes, you'll know how much I love the show. Um, Anyway, getting back to the uh, the topic we have abandoned for the past 90 seconds in a uh, cataclysmic way. Uh, Assigning point values to each remaining match. Just four at home, ten on the road. And we thought we would do that. We're not going to spend five minutes on each one of these. But but just tick through quickly what we would expect Nashville SC to uh, reasonably expect of itself in each of these games. So... The four home games, NYCFC, Orlando, Columbus, New York Red Bulls. That's two teams in playoff position. That's the defending MLS Cup champs in Columbus, and it's the team in New York that beat Nashville. Tim, any reason why the expectation for any of those four matches should be one instead of three? Yeah, just to be clear, the difference between expectation and reality is is there's a reasonable gap here. But I think if you're looking at expectations, the only one that Nashville SC should expect Anything other than a win against would be New York City FC, which I have as the top team in the league. They haven't necessarily always lived up to that in terms of their finishing, in terms of their goalkeeping when Sean Johnson um, has been out a little bit this year. This is a team that's really, really, really good. I cannot say the same of Orlando, Columbus, and the Red Bulls, however, especially Columbus, which the fall from grace that the crew has experienced this year after an MLS Cup championship and then seemingly only getting better. It didn't seem like they lost a whole lot over the course of this offseason, and then um, just whatever has happened has just been catastrophic. You absolutely have to beat them. You absolutely have to beat Orlando not least of which because you feel pretty hard done by what happened last Wednesday. And then you have to beat New York Red Bulls again, maybe as a slight revenge game because you feel bad about what happened in Red Bull Arena, but also because this is a team that doesn't historically travel well and you want to punish them for that. So I think New York City FC, which is an elite team, if you draw them, you're fine. If you lose to them, you don't feel great. But as long as you win the other three, you feel pretty happy about what you've done at home this year. NYCFC just two wins and three draws in their nine road matches so far this year. Red Bulls, one win in 10. 
Yikes. Columbus, two wins in 11 away from home. And as we tick these off, it becomes even more apparent how brutal the road is in this league. I I still think it's a three-point match for that reason. However, if there is a team, certainly, that I'm going to give the respect to of saying one point is is an acceptable result, it is definitely against that NYCFC team. No problem with that whatsoever. Uh, But now let's go to the road. And this is where things, um, I think, get really interesting for a Nashville SE team, Tim, that has still yet to win away from home. And I think we all pinpointed Miami as the chance for that to finally happen. Of course, that failed uh, in spectacular fashion. And so now Nashville needs to pick up three points in some of these road matches. They need to figure it out. So we'll just tick through them quickly and uh, just say zero, one, or three points. Um, Atlanta on the road coming up this weekend. I say it's a one-pointer. I think you expect to salvage a point out of this. I think a win is a bonus. Yeah, I think absolutely the exact same feeling is you should feel like you can draw this game and you feel like you can win this game, but you aren't disappointed if you don't. Montreal up after that. It's Todd Zaputo, you know, not the toughest place to play Montreal, not the best team this season. Although they've shown decent form um, at, at times this year. But then you think about the the players who may or may not be able to cross the border, the, the challenges of travel. I, I thought about giving this a three. I went one. I think Montreal has been good enough. We've seen them draw Nashville twice already in Nashville. I think one point's fine there. Yeah. I think given that certainly the first Montreal game at home and in probably the second one, Nashville feels pretty upset to only get a single point out of, when you go on the road, life is a lot harder in MLS. And for some of the reasons that you mentioned, going to Canada is going to be particularly hard this year, even more hard than it than it typically is. I think it's similar to Atlanta's. You feel satisfied with one point, but you feel like this might be a game that you can steal all three. I left town and went to Canada, and Toronto got bad again. They were starting to play okay. <laughs> they drew Nashville. They beat New England on the road. And that's crazy because you left town and the podcast got good. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, a dagger to my heart. Jeez, if you don't like the Garth Brooks puns, just tell me. Come on. All right, guys. So I might be taking a trip to injured reserve. Wounded my heart. Uh, so anyway, I, I go to Canada and apparently I have some sort of fairy dust that sprinkles over Toronto as I'm flying through Pearson Airport on my way to Ottawa, and all of a sudden they got bad again. But when Nashville goes to Toronto. I still see a veteran group that knows what it's doing, especially at home. And I still say you get a point against Toronto. I I think that's a reasonable expectation. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, this is another contest where Nashville is going to feel like they are owed a little bit of retribution for feeling hard done in a previous match. And for that reason, I have it as a three-pointer that if you only get one, you're probably not disappointed. But the revenge factor really makes you feel like you want all three because you felt like you should have had them all before. So you're channeling your inner Davy Shepard there and saying only three is acceptable <laughs> in Toronto. Love, all the love to Davy, by the way. Absolutely. I went on a rant and I made the mistake of not mentioning Davy in that. And he responded, <laughs> man, just at me. Just Hey, we love Davy. He's, he's great. Nashville soccer show uh, hosted by him and, and my brother, Will. Don't get us mixed up. Everybody else does. He and some other folks were pretty um, apoplectic, maybe too strong a word, uh, maybe another good word of the day, by not getting all three in Toronto. I was not so much, uh, but mm-hmm. I think uh, – I see your point. I, I definitely think the way this Toronto team is playing three is more likely there than in, in some other contests. I just have a hard time expecting it from a team that hasn't done it yet. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's three draws for me in these first three. That's a win and a couple draws for Tim. Miami and Chicago, do we need to spend much time on this? you got to get three out of both of those, right? Absolutely. Chicago's uh, quite a bit worse at home than they are on the road, shockingly. So I yeah. think for that reason, um, when you look at a team that has historically underachieved its underlying numbers, you would like for Nashville to do that. Um, Miami, again, another revenge game, both like a double revenge game because Nashville felt hard done by a draw in the first one, probably. So you absolutely need six points against those two teams. Yeah, you want to talk about conceding on set pieces. Chicago has given up <laughs> 11 goals on set pieces this year. That back line. And it's it's such a fun group, right? It's a dynamic group to watch play. I enjoy watching their midfielders and forwards. But they are a reverse Nashville from last year in that they, they just don't have the back line and they have, they have an exciting attack. Yeah, three points in both of those. NYCFC is the first match for me that I say you count it as zero and anything you take away is a bonus. I'm kind of approaching it from a similar angle, but I think Nashville SC has shown that when it goes against a team on the road, that it feels like it's not necessarily as good as, 
that's when you really see the bunker down and you really see a team that can manage to scrape out a draw. We saw it against New England, for example. I think that same sort of game plan, obviously not the same tactical game plan necessarily, but the same sort of concepts that you would like to see in terms of, of holding for a draw are the sort of things that you can use to success in New York City. Um, I think Nashville SC kind of using that game plan for the first time in a while, whereas I do believe that they're going to go for wins against Atlanta. I do believe that they're going to go for wins against Montreal. I do believe they're going to go for wins in basically every single one of these games until you get to New York City. I think they're really going to kind of hammer down and, and do exactly what they need to do to get a single point and maybe play for all three later in the match. Every time that Gary Smith is dead set on getting a point, he gets it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, now I've, I've brought this up on the website before is if you play a team for a second time, and we obviously don't know what's going to happen against New York city FC in, in a couple of weeks here, but when he plays a team for the second time, he is not going to get beaten in the same way. No. He's not going to draw disappointingly in the same way. Of course we saw this year uh, against Miami. He, he did worse than drawing disappointingly in the same way because he went for it and got burned. But um, I think the second New York City FC game is going to be a really good litmus test for this, regardless of what happens in Nissan Stadium. So you've just mentioned your philosophy that you know Nashville SC could bunker a bit to try to preserve the point and should expect that against New York City. And then I'm looking at our notes and you've got zero points listed for the next two road matches, DC and Philadelphia. Can I assume, not to steal your words, that you think Nashville might play a bit more open in that those matches and so therefore they're more vulnerable and and you start with zero as a result of that or what's your what's your logic there? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think you're looking at the three best teams in the Eastern Conference not named Nashville right in a row. Uh, on the road, at least. And that's going to be something that's really difficult for NSC. And I think given the fact that I believe that playing for a draw against New York City FC is is the smart thing to do, if they get that draw, you'll see them be a little bit less uh, sticklers to get a single point against DC, sticklers to get a single point against Philadelphia. And yes, those are teams that are probably better um, than New York City teams that are going to challenge New England, not necessarily for the top of the Eastern Conference, because I think the Revs pretty much have it wrapped up right now. But I think that those are teams that Nashville is going to say, hey, if we get our point against New York City FC, we have everything to play for here, and we're going to go for second in this conference. I think Nashville will feel that a team that it beat 5-2 at home, it should be able to take a point off of uh, on the road. But that, there's a blessing and a curse there in terms of the risk that they're maybe willing to play with. That's very true. That's very true. I think a point is a reasonable expectation. That's what I marked for that one, but I, I certainly see where you're coming from there. Philly, I agree with you. I think you go in there... And you, you open things up and you see what you can do. But the third match uh, against an elite team in a row, I yeah, I'm I'm totally okay with with dropping points there completely and and then start starting from that conclusion and then and then working your way to to trying to steal something there. Cincinnati, three points. Yep. Orlando on the road. <laughs> Last road match of the year. A team that Nashville has has now drawn at home. Feels like it should have beaten. We saw the last road match last season, a trip to Orlando, and a 3-2 win that very few expected. Nashville came from behind. The only time... Against a much better Orlando team. Yes, much better. And the only time they came from behind to win a match mm-hmm. all season last year. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going with zero points in that. I think it's an Orlando team. They're going to be fighting toward the top of the table. They will scratch and claw and do everything they can to try to take something out of that match, depending on where things are. But I'm starting with zero in that. I, I just don't think you can assume a result despite what Nashville has done in the past against that Orlando team. Yeah, I think what you just said, uh, depending on where things are, is going to be a pretty big key here. I do have them down for one point. I think Nashville will gladly play for a draw if that's what the stakes are. If Nashville can achieve its goals in the Eastern Conference by playing for a draw, Gary Smith will have no shame in playing for a draw. Otherwise, Maybe they'll open it up and get either three or zero and and nothing in between. But I do think, you know, it really does depend on what the situations are come Halloween night and in what Nashville SC needs to play for and what Orlando needs to play for at that point, too. So if Nashville wins all four home matches, as I've set them up to expect to do, um, the total points I've got on the road, 13 points to go with that. That'd be 25 points for the rest of the season. That puts Nashville at 57 for the year, and that points per game has been good enough for top four every year but two in the last decade. So um, that would allow Nashville to achieve its ultimate goal of hosting a playoff game. Yeah, I'm one point better than you at 10 at home and, and 16 on the road. I think it's a high but reasonable bar. And the games may not play out exactly the way I expected, but I would think at the end of the day, there's a good chance you see better than I think than um, maybe a little bit worse than what I'd say because 
of the way that Nashville SC has the opportunity to say, uh, we're good for top four. We don't need to play for a win in Orlando. We don't necessarily need to play for a win in our final game of the season against New York Red Bulls. So I think they have a little bit of leeway to play with. And, and I think there's confidence in the way that this team plays and they're going to be able to do what they want to do, not necessarily what they feel they have to do in as many games as they did last year. So your handicapping ends up with you being a point better than me. I think that's just the score in life, really. You're always <laughs> a point or two uh, better than me. All right, so the next road match, Atlanta United, unbeaten in five suddenly. This is an Atlanta team that was in turmoil. They have found a manager. They have found a bit of an identity. They found some some confidence after a club record 12-match winless streak. And now suddenly, Tim, they're tied on points for the last playoff spot. They're in eight. They're behind D.C., but they have as many points as D.C. United. Um, only two teams have scored multiple goals in Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Nashville. So the boys in gold have done it. Very few others have. And uh, Atlanta, meanwhile, has scored two goals every time these two teams have met. Will that continue? Uh, Probably not, I would say. Atlanta has eclipsed two expected goals in zero home games this year. That's they crazy, have- by the way. That's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 a wild stat, especially given the kind of high flying pass under Tata Martino, especially. But they have scored two plus three times. So Nashville may not be in its best defensive form, but I doubt this is one of the worst defending team, worst defending teams in the league either. So unless Atlanta is going to exceed its expected goals, I have a really hard time seeing them scoring above their average over the course of the season so holding Atlanta below two xg should be a guarantee and then above average goalkeeping and to be fair Nashville hasn't always gotten that this year even though I think Joe Willis is an above average goalkeeper his performances haven't necessarily done it statistically I think it's the expectation is that you hold them below two xg and, and kind of follow through with that with good goalkeeping you mentioned the underlying metrics just hate Atlanta and that they haven't exceeded two expected goals at home all year they've done it just once all season, once on the road, opponents have done it seven times against them. Nashville this season has done that eight times. Yeah, with Joseph back, this does become a team that's built to exceed its expected goals. So even if Atlanta doesn't hit that two-goal mark, they might still score two goals. Um, so for four of the past seven games since he's been close to full strength, they've seen it happen where they've exceeded their expected goals. So there aren't enough creators here that a team like Nashville says, if you hit your expected goals, we're scared. Atlanta has to exceed its XG to win games, and that does come down to Mr. Uh, former Pink Hair here. Final question for you uh, about this matchup. Is this a rivalry yet? I think that Nashville views Atlanta as that that proximity rival, but but probably has a little more uh, enmity toward toward Cincinnati. Atlanta's yeah. got Orlando to worry about. Mm-hmm. Some of the pivotal moments of this rivalry happened in front of zero or very few fans, like the four two win for Nashville last season. There's not been a flashpoint yet. I, I just I I want this rivalry to flourish. There's a long future ahead mm-hmm. for it to do so. Do you feel it's a rivalry yet? Yeah, I think so. I think it's been too friendly a rivalry i i don't say too because i want it to be like a vicious rivalry but for it to to feel like a true rivalry the fan bases get along a little bit too well at times yeah and that's not again that's not necessarily a problem i think on the field atlanta wouldn't admit it but i think it, they feel the rivalry more than they would say i'm um, from from uh, joseph martinez's acl tear that obviously Nashville players had nothing to do with it was just the sort of thing that happens when you get stuck in a piece of grass but I think Nashville fans feel like Atlanta has always been maybe the rival obviously Cincinnati is is the one maybe more emotionally and more uh it's tough to hate them when they're really 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 bad as um to date Uh, let me check my watch here they have not been anything other than that so far (laughs) so um, I think from that perspective, both teams have a little bit more to, to hate each other than they, they they do yet. So maybe we'll see what happens. It does need maybe that flashpoint, like you mentioned, to, to have something to kind of spur the, the, the deeper emotions than just, oh, we are proximity association people. <laughs> proximity association people. Uh, yeah. yeah. Pap. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I, I do feel like the kindling is there. And it just mm-hmm. needs a match. And so we will see if, if this weekend provides if, if that this match. is the match. The hey. match. Oh, 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 oh. Elegantly executed. Nicely done. That was Hani Mukhtar 83rd minute stuff right there. <laughs> well, let's move on now to Embrace Consensus. And we're going to have a little fun with some midseason superlatives 
this time around. And we'll have a few different awards that we're going to give out as, again, 20 games of 34 are gone. But the All-Star break gives us a chance to reflect just a little bit. And uh, the first award we're going to give in honor of the man who led Nashville for the first two years and the only two years of USL, the Lebo Moloto Most Valuable Player Award so far this season. Who you got? Yeah, it would be very easy for me to say Hani Mukhtar or Charles Nana Kwabana, CJ Sapong. Um, and that's why listeners know I won't do it. I don't do the easy thing, do I? <laughs> Never. So until Dave Romney, so I'll do the other obvious thing. Until Dave Romney goes a minute without being actively on the pitch or where Nashville suddenly morphs into a bad defense with him out there, which I don't think is going to happen, it's Dave Romney. He's been such a key for this club, not just so far this year, but last year as well, that I have a hard time picking anyone other than Dave Romney. I will claim both Mukhtar and Sapong then in your absence. No, just kidding. I won't do that. I'll at least play by the rules. I'll go Hani and can't ignore Sapong's contributions, obviously, but but Hani's eight goals and seven assists combined uh, rank fifth in Major League Soccer. And I think he has been uh, really the driving force behind so much of the attacking growth this season. So I will say Hani Mukhtar. I, I like your Romney answer. I, I think he could be the answer to well, every one of these except for the Super Sub Award, obviously, because he has never <laughs> been subbed in or subbed out for this team. However, in honor of the man who scored the clinching goal against North Carolina FC back in 2018 and many others in reserve duty, the Ropapa Mensa Super Sub Award. And apologies to those of you, by the way, who weren't around for USL. You'll have to endure and have had to endure the occasional USL inside joke. But there's a fun history to, to research. Just drop by clubcountryusa.com and, or the Nashville Soccer Archive and check it out. Anyway, the Ropapa Mensa Super Sub Award so far for me, it's Luke. It's Luke Hawkinson. And yeah, he had the brace against Toronto. But he's also been the most used sub this year. He's come in 11 times in reserve duty. And he has the second highest points per match of any player while on the field. Only Dylan Nealis has more. So I think Luke Hawkinson, in a year where you can't say there's been a guy that Nashville can put in and he just scores late. Like like they wish maybe a Yonder Cadiz could do or Daniel Rios now. I think Luke Hawkinson is the name that, that jumps out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I'm going to switch mine to Dylan Nealis with that little stat. There you go. <laughs> but, but in reality, I'm going to cast a futures bet here, and, it, and it's Ake Loba. My only worry about Loba is that he gets game fit and gets 90-minute game fit, and he's in the starting lineup, and he bypasses this category entirely because he doesn't need to come off the bench a whole lot more. Obviously, a guy who is still looking for that kind of signature moment in a Nashville SC jersey, and maybe he's getting to a point where it comes where he doesn't have to come off the bench, but I do believe that when he does start making an impact, it will still be when he's coming off the bench. And thus I am casting my futures bet as the Ropapa Mensa super sub for Ake Loba. From your mouth to Gary's ears. In 2018, the last match of the regular season, Nashville SC found itself in a challenging position. It had dropped points in previous matches that meant that it was playing for its playoff future against the number one team in the league. And believe it or not, the number one team in the league a long time ago in one league ago, was FC Cincinnati. A whole world ago. <laughs> a whole universe ago. And Bolu Akinyoti, a defensive midfielder, a backbone player, stepped in, took a shot, and sent a rocket that would have still been floating in the air three years later, except that it found the back of the net. It allowed Nashville to equalize 3-3 and clinch its playoff spot. We will now give the Bolu Akinyoti goal of the year to date yeah i can't decide between two anti-canadian strikes with all due respect to your lovely bride who is a canadian but my two options are luke hawkinson's second goal to beat toronto fc in nissan stadium and abu damadi's beautiful header to get a draw against cf montreal i think those are the only two strikes so far this year and that's because of the context in which they occurred which were either to salvage a draw for damadi or to win a game for hawkinson my wife claims atletico ottawa so you're safe Atletico, they say, I think. They should oh, if they don't. <laughs> they, well, they definitely should. No, we're going to work on that. I don't know. It's a bilingual market. We'll see how that would go. But then again, Atletico is neither of the two languages that they speak in the market. So uh, who knows? We'll just keep calling them the Fury as, as God intended. Uh, so I'm going to go with a goal that was important for its significance, if not for its style. Mm -hmm. And that is Hani Mukhtar in Atlanta, the equalizer, or just either one of them, really, the 80th minute mm -hmm. goal or the 83rd minute goal. I think that still to date is Nashville's most unlikely positive result coming back from 2-0 in Alliance Den. Hani Mukhtar, who'd been quiet for the bulk of the year to that point, coming in and scoring a yeah. brace. 
if he doesn't deliver on one of those two goals, if we're still then going to assume that Nashville goes and loses to New York Red Bulls on the other side of the international break, that's a two-match losing streak heading into the homestand that ended up serving as a springboard for this team. Does it still have that same confidence going into that homestand if it's on a losing skid when it comes home? Is it truly just one kick and that's it? I, I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I would say the fact that it happened in the 83rd minute maybe forced it to slip my mind. But in terms of the significance of the second one there, you'd really have a hard time saying, um, you know, a win against Toronto FC where Toronto FC was in the season or a draw against uh, Montreal is exactly the same as even though Atlanta has not been that good, what they represent to this Nashville team that wants to be where Atlanta was. I think I'm going to have to concede defeat here if we're embracing debate a little bit. Conceding defeat, and that is something Nashville did not do against Atlanta United <laughs> as a result of Hani Mukhtar. All right, last award is, is named in honor of Kosuke Kimura, a player who committed, I believe, in his last season in USL all of six fouls from his right-back position in uh, in 20-plus matches played. Uh, an incredible cornerstone right back who was always where he needed to be and rarely got the attention for what was in USL also an awesome Nashville SC back line. So the Kosuke Kimura, most underrated player. Tim, are you going to go with the answer I think you're going to go with here? Oh, man, I am going to shock the world. Finally, somebody says it and then they actually do it. I'm not going to go with Dave Romney, what? believe it or not. It is Todd Brian Nunga mm. that he wins the award despite the fact that he's receiving the amount of appreciation that he's received so far this season says a lot about where I think he's gone so far in terms of his development, in terms of his future. Uh, This is exactly how great he's been. And I think the fact that a guy who suddenly is on the tips of the tongues of the the MLS intelligentsia on the tips of the tongues of a lot of the MLS uh, fan base in Nashville and beyond is something that really speaks a lot to how he's developed. Who would have imagined after being bought for what, 50,000, Dollars mm-hmm. from Charleston Battery, a player who was very well respected in USL, but known as much for his yellow cards and physicality, perhaps, as he was for his intelligence on the pitch that he has shown in Nashville. And his development has been awesome. Do you think he was the most important player during the Gold Cup break with Anibal out? Of course, he was ended up being injured. Anibal, Walker, Alistair, we know the guys who weren't around. Was he the most important player to step up during that time? Yeah, certainly in terms of stepping up, the the value over replacement player, if we want to steal a quick baseball term here, is um, the replacement player was uh, question mark. And, yeah. and Anunga was not only better than question mark, Anunga was probably comparable to what Nashville would have expected from Godoy. Obviously, Godoy has come back and been outstanding. He's been probably even better than I think Nashville SC fans remember him being. But the fact that Anunga stepped in and as a guy who – uh, I think we would be kind of overstating the myth a little bit to say he was uh, outstanding last year. He was he was fine. He was a replacement player last year. That is not the case in 2021. Yeah, I felt like his mission last year was get the ball, pass it within two seconds and within seven feet. And he was mm-hmm. solid at that. And his mission has expanded this year. And he's embraced mm-hmm. that. He stepped forward. He's not been afraid to be a force in the attack, but still confident enough to get back and, and defend and, and do his first job. I'm going to go with a, a defender, uh, one Dan Lovitz as my most underrated player. And with all the love for Romney, but I think, you know, he's criminally underrated league-wide, but I think in Nashville folks understand what Dave Romney's all about and what mm-hmm. he means. So I don't think mm-hmm. he can qualify here when folks like you are picking him as MVP as well. Um, I'll go Dan Lovitz here. Five assists, second most key passes on the team, most completed passes into the 18. And yes, corner kicks represent, a, and free kicks represent a solid portion of that, but he's also putting those where they need to be. You know, I, I don't know that I saw Dan necessarily as a first ballot all-star, as a guy Bob mm-hmm. Bradley was going to choose or certainly was going to get the votes. But then I saw the news that came out Monday that George Bellow was chosen as a replacement player. And and I respect Bellow. I don't have a negative thing to say about George Bellow. But Dan Lovitz has five assists to Bellow's two. Dan Lovitz has 31 or 35, depending on the stat service, key passes to Bellow's 10. Look, you can say they have different roles for their teams if you want. Mm-hmm. It's fine. But I think, I think Lovitz has to be your guy there, right? I know that he's not the exciting, young, budding talent that Bello is, and it's going to be for yeah. a long time in this league or probably elsewhere. But to me, if, you know, if, if, if Dax and Annabelle are this team's engine, then Lovitz and Johnson are the tires. They're taking this team places. And Dan's role in that, I think, is overlooked here in Nashville by some and league-wide by almost everyone. 
Yeah, I think the fact that Lovitz played for the U.S. men's national team in the early stages of the Greg Halter era and possibly even the end stages of the Dave Sarakin era kind of colors people's perceptions of him because he was not great then. Um, people may be overlooking the fact that George Bellow has not been great for the U.S. men's national team lately either. The, the difference is that Bellow's like a 19-year-old kid and Lovitz is like 26 or 27. So there, there's not the excitement of what could be. But I think when you look at what they are right now, um, that's not a slight on Bellow at all. But, no. but Lovitz is the superior player. And Lovitz is a guy who, um, you know, led the league in chances created early in the year. He's a guy who um, has been a rock at the back of the defense for one of the best defensive teams in Major League Soccer. I think that's a really, really, really good shout. So Dan Lovitz, I don't just... Like it. I love it. I love what Dan is giving this team. All right, let's head to the mailbag now. Some penetrating questions from many of you. We'll start with a a couplet here, a couple of questions that are similar enough that we're going to bind them together. John Mueller asks, Nashville SC is notorious for playing up or down to its competition. What type of change would turn this team into the buzzsaw? I think it could be, and Robbie Aces reflects a similar sentiment. Given the ongoing slate of unproductive away matches, do you anticipate significant tactical changes from Gary Smith or more of a trust-the-plan-we've-got approach to get it right? Yeah, I think there's a kernel of truth to both of those things. Obviously, Nashville has been worse on the road than they have been at home, and Nashville uh, lost to Miami. That's that's something that a great team doesn't do. They drew uh, Cincinnati to open this year. That's something that a great team doesn't do. However, the opponent variant performance reputation is a little bit overstated. The way that Nashville played poorly against FCC in the opener, for example, it's just a complete outlier. That was a domination from an expected goals uh, perspective. And the squad was unlucky to have to settle for a draw. The road loss to Miami that I just mentioned was even more frustrating. It was more similar than it seems. IMCF played for a draw the whole game and Nashville recognized a little bit too late in that second half that the Herons were gunning for a win. And obviously the stoppage time winner for Inter-Miami was something that uh, every Nashville fan wishes they could take back. I think the main thing to to Rob's point in particular is to have confidence regardless of the situation. Drawing New England on the road is perhaps literally the best possible result so far this season for any team. But Nashville might have been able to win without trying these stars against tired legs approach, putting in Hani Mukhtar late, um, putting in uh, CJ Spong late. They might have had a chance to say, hey, these guys against a depleted New England team might be able to get all three points. Be confident in Hani and your striker depth to, to batter these guys all game, maybe. And then if it's going to play out that you need to settle for a draw, you do that. Of course, this doesn't necessarily answer John's full question. But while I agree, NSC does play tend to play down uh, to weaken competition, the approach is the same that kind of overcomes this hurdle, which is to believe in yourself to take all three and execute a game plan accordingly. Sure, and that more aggressive approach involves opening the club to risks on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the set piece Not struggle. With Dave Romney back there. <laughs> yeah, your your MVP slash almost most underrated player. Uh, but the set piece struggles almost are kind of in a perverse way reassuring in that respect. Mm-hmm. That you know that one third of Nashville's goals almost this season that they've allowed have come on set pieces, and so if you're opening things up, you're a little more worried about counterattacks than you are necessarily about set pieces, although certainly one can result from the other. Um, Nashville's allowed the fourth fewest goals from open play. They've not allowed, according to whoscored.com, a single counterattack goal this season. And I'm thinking about that and, and trying to interpret that in my own lens. I'm not thinking of any. I think that's that's about right. So I think what that tells me is the defense is strong enough to withstand a more liberal attacking mindset. Yeah, they're going to concede some free kicks and corner kicks when they give up breaks the other way. And they're going to have to figure that out. But I think it's better to be leaky on set pieces and good overall defensively uh, than it is the other way around where you don't feel like you can open things up because you're just going to get torched the other way, a la you know, whenever FC Cincinnati tries to go for a game. Yeah, I think that there's something fair to be said for that. If you're um, attacking in the run of play, you can give up set piece or you can give up uh, counterattacking goals. But Nashville SC isn't doing that despite being more attacking in the run of play and set piece goals. While they are important, they're kind of like special teams in football. It's it's something that's almost completely separate from the run of play and you can't necessarily kind of score it on the same scale as those sorts of things. And it's something that Nashville can say, hey, Either we can give up fewer corner kicks or we can defend those corner kicks better. Obviously, we've mentioned earlier in this podcast that we expect them to defend the corner kicks better with Walker Zimmerman and possibly with a guy with Zimmerman's athleticism on the pitch. Maybe they give up fewer of those. Maybe they give up fewer fouls in attacking zones for the opponent, too. So those are the sorts of things that aren't necessarily directly related to how attacking Nashville wants to be. 
Chris Hole always brings great questions. This one he asks uh, what the likelihood is that CJ Sapong catches Greg Berhalter's eye for a short stint at the U.S. Men's National Team, and how useful could he be at a team position that is shallow and injured? I would absolutely, absolutely love for this to happen. I love CJ Sapong as a player. I love CJ Sapong as a representative of Nashville. I think he's a really good dude. Um, started a charity when he was in Philadelphia about gardening for, for underserved communities. Could not be a better guy. Uh, f- putting on my U.S. men's national team fan hat here, he's a guy whose skill set is probably the sort of thing that isn't necessarily what exactly what Greg Berhalter is looking for. He's kind of your classic United States uh, striker who's kind of a try-hard guy who doesn't necessarily have the best technical skill but still manages to get it done. So I think it makes a little bit more sense to go for a guy who maybe has that technical ability um, and is on a similar hot streak. For example, Ricardo Pepe of FC Dallas is a guy who um, didn't start the year particularly well, but lately is scoring almost as frequently as CJ is. And I think he has more of a future to build with this U.S. men's national team in terms of if he gets these first few caps building and and kind of saying, hey, this is going to be my spot for the future. It hasn't been seized by a guy like Josh Sargent, for example. It hasn't been seized by a guy um, like Timothy Weah or, or PFOC. Um, these are guys who I can beat. And if Ricardo Pepe shows that he can beat those guys on the depth chart, potentially a move to Europe is in his future as well. Look, I'm all about prepping for the future, and I'm all about Ricardo Pepe. Nine goals this year for a youngster in Major League Soccer. He's been just awesome for a Dallas team that's had some some pretty bleak moments otherwise. He's helped resurrect them out of that. So I see the value of youth from a long-term perspective, but these matches are significant. Short-term, they need to win. They need to get results. And CJ Sapong is a proven goal scorer who better replicates, I think, in a lot of ways what Zardes does. But he has the yeah. savvy, too. That's what gets me. He has the savvy to create against cagey defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, he has certainly the ability to slide into a locker room right away. Not that Pepe doesn't, but as a veteran, he has yeah. familiarity and connections with these guys. I think Sapong's the better option between the two of them in the short term, even as I completely agree about Pepe's projectability. I think you need results now. This would be short term. And I think CJ's your guy. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a guy to be exactly Jesse Zardes, maybe not quite as good. You have the intelligence and you have the athleticism. Those are the two things that those guys, CJ and Jesse, share in common. Ricardo Pepe is a guy who's still developing some of that stuff, particularly in the game savvy sort of things. Um, he, he is a better technical player than probably either of those guys, to be yeah. honest. But you're, I think you have a very good point in that. Like for like, CJ is the closest you're going to get to Giassi's artists in this league. Tracy Edwards reaches out with a couple of great questions. He asks uh, about Loba's lack of minutes. Shouldn't we have attempted to practice Loba, he says, in four attacker formations in advance of the playoffs? If and when you fall behind in a playoff match, you're going to need to shed the reluctance to play Loba with the big three. Why not try out try it out at home recently? Yeah, I, so I'm going to first, before I even give the rest of my answer, say in my projected lineups, I've been trying to say, hey, here's, here has to be a situation where Nashville goes back to maybe that more typical 4-2-3-1 because then you can get four attackers on the pitch and then you can get maybe Ake Loba into the situation. But um, I think from this point, there there's maybe not a satisfying answer, honestly. Um, he's just not game fit. He didn't get 90s for Monterey. Um, a 70-minute outing to open May was his last start for Riotos, and he only got a few minutes against Columbus, even though he scored against them in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League. And he didn't even practice for Nashville for two months after that. So like everyone else, I would love for him to be in better game shape, but the reality is he's just not yet. And Gary Smith has been pretty open about that saying, Hey, this is a guy that we're working to fitness and we'll see when that happens. But um, when he is fit, does it mean that Nashville goes to some sort of attacking front four rather than this highly prolific front three that we've seen? I don't even necessarily know that you want to mess with the chemistry there. Yeah. That's the thing, right? All things being equal. You love what Loba can bring. Mm-hmm. To me, the reason he's getting two minutes, five minutes, 29, 45, 13, 22, and nine in his seven appearances, and yes, I was reading that, that was not off the top of my head, is is partially match fitness. It's partially because they're scoring five goals against yeah. DC United. You know, I, I think there's not going to be hesitancy to throw him in late if Nashville's down 2-1 in Atlanta. You know, put him in and go for it. And eventually, I think he will get those starts, um, especially as form wanes, injuries dictate, uh, the things that happen to teams over the course of a season mm-hmm. happen. He'll get that opportunity. But I understand the impatience from folks yeah, who are looking absolutely. at and, and saying, when is that investment going to start paying off? I certainly understand that. Um, Tracy follows up in a similar vein. He says, I think that in the D.C. match, we were clearly superior, and yet they showed 
the ambition. That was the perfect chance to mix Loba, Hani, CJ Leal to let them gel. And he says it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that. I do think that, um, you know, when you look at the final score and see 5-2, that's that's something that you feel pretty good about. But Nashville did perform well in that particular game. But this D.C. team is a lot better than that final score ended up looking. If you mess with the chemistry a little bit, it might bite you if the finishing regresses to the mean over the course of that game. I absolutely understand the sense of, sense of fan urgency to get them on the field. I think we just talked about that. But to the degree that it happens before your stars are off to rest, I don't think you want to put him on the pitch before you give Hani Mukhtar a break and a 5-2 win, for example. I think you do have to find ways to work him in. Yes, there's the impatience to get him onto the pitch, and there's the impatience to get him on with some of those stars. But at the same time, you don't want to uh, ask too much of him and you don't want to ask too much kind of playing time wise of your big three. Moving outside in, Tim, a lot of folks in Nashville are getting their first exposure to the MLS All-Star game. Obviously, there was not one last year, so this will be the first time a Nashville SC player is going to participate. Walker Zerman being that man. Wednesday, Los Angeles, it is MLS versus Liga MX. How much do we care? I care about it in terms of the big picture, in terms of of what it means, who wins the game. Probably not a whole lot. I mean, regular listeners know I absolutely love MLS versus Liga MX as as kind of a concept. But All-Star games are supposed to be exhibitions and and generally pretty easygoing ones. I would much rather see a ton of bangers. Um, You know, sorry to Andre Blake or whomever (laughs) if they're scored on you, but I would much rather see a ton of bangers and and kind of an NBA style like these guys are, are kind of going... Um, you know, half speed, except when they have the opportunity to score. I would like to see MLS win, but I don't think it means as much necessarily as a competitive game would be against uh, an MLS team versus a Liga MX team. And I'd love to rephrase the question I asked a little bit, because I think we should we should always care about something, and we do yeah. always care about something. It's We're not, not nihilists. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The better question that I, I should ask probably is how should we watch this match? If we're not watching for a result, are we watching for individual skill? Are we watching to see if things get a little bit chippy between the two leagues? What is it that, that obviously people are going to be watching Walker Zerman and how he performs? Is that is that what we're looking for? What else are you going to have your eye on? Is I think we'll both still be watching uh, every minute of this match. Yeah, you you watch to make sure Walker Zimmerman doesn't get hurt. Yes, and you watch to enjoy yourself. Whether you enjoy yourself by seeing outstanding defensive performances, whether you enjoy yourself um, by seeing MLS get a win over the league at Max All Stars, that's something that you can certainly cheer for. Whether you are watching to see the bangers, like I just mentioned, again, apologies to Andre Blake in advance, but, <laughs> but I think it's 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 less about. Uh, even even process. It's not about results. It's not about process. It's about just the simple enjoyment of of soccer. And this is one of the very rare opportunities that you get to say, I don't care about the result. I don't necessarily even care about what happens. What I care about is having fun. And that's something that we like too. And I will be drinking out of my MLS All-Star Game coffee mugs. This is in the evening. There might be a touch of Bailey's or whiskey in there. Uh, my brother brought that back from San Jose when Arsenal took on the MLS All-Stars. So talk about the younger guys now. We've not gotten much into the NSC Academy, but uh, if you go to clubcountryusa.com, folks, you'll see that the Academy schedule has been announced. Press release came out from the club and drew coverage from Tim. The U13s, 14s, 15s, and 17s get their action underway in September. The schedule runs through May. They will face 10 other MLS Academies all east of the Mississippi, along with a slew of other clubs not affiliated with MLS teams. Uh, it's it's young for this academy. There's also not a, uh, a just a crazy amount of homegrown talent, we would assume, in a place like Tennessee compared to the backyards of some of these other clubs, even a Georgia, Walker Zerman, a, uh, mm. you know, a, a New York, you know, some of these bigger markets. Nashville doesn't have the yeah. most fertile homegrown territory, as good as some of the soccer, especially here in Middle Tennessee and in West Knoxville, is. So where are things at with this academy? How important is it in its early stages, or is the club still in the process of just feeling out the basics necessary to get things established, establishing how it's going to coach these kids? Is it about the process? Is it about the products that they're bringing out of it at this point? Uh, Give us a little bit of, of info on that. Yeah, I think when you look at at the process, that's the most important thing. And it's not even necessarily about, you know, how are we developing a specific player? It's about how are we putting our pieces in place to know how to develop players for now and for the future? And, you know, know, I've talked to a couple of sources within the program and they think there are some potential pros in their club right now. But the situation that 
uh, they're in realistically is that they don't have a, a roster laden with pros. This is not Philadelphia Union Academy. This is not FC Dallas Academy. However, they want to go out and compete. They want to go out and have success in some of these games. Um, they had a couple friendly games already. Um, I showed I showed up to NSC training a couple uh, last week, and and there were a friendly game preseason friendly games for the academy happening on the field. And I was like, what is going on over here? Um, but it's it's it is more about kind of the the idea of getting these guys ready to go. Um, I don't know. I don't believe these guys are even residential yet. That's something that'll happen going forward. Um, so so yes, you do want to see them have success, but it really is about kind of laying the groundwork, maybe setting up some of these relationships where where the local clubs can kind of say, Hey, here's our best player. We want them to go play for Nashville SC. We're not going to have any sort of, you know, selfish feeling about this where we want to go win tournaments or whatever. We want to make sure we set up our players for the best future. That's something that Nashville wants to encourage these clubs to, to continue to do these youth clubs. And I believe in the long term, it is, it is more about the process right now. And it's most of all laying groundwork for the future. Excited to see how that transpires, and you can keep tabs on clubcountryusa.com for major updates related to those academy teams that begin play here in just a few weeks. All right, let's blow the final whistle. It's been a while since we've talked about good content. I've not been able to uh, inhale a whole lot of content since I've been mostly on the road driving from Ottawa down to Nashville via the eastern seaboard. So I'll let you go first. Yeah, my my big thing is is to visit your local soccer bar. I know a lot of people... I am absolutely one of them are still a little bit wary of, of doing things that can uh, propagate a global pandemic. I'm extremely conscious of that. But if you're comfortable doing so, visit your local soccer bars. I think um, these are places that obviously support the game, and that's important. Um, places like Midnight Oil and Centennial in the Nations, shout out to my home bars. Um, Fleet Street downtown, Tailgate Music Row for U.S. Men's National Team games, the Lost Paddy um, near the airport, among many, many others. There are too many to name. I do have a, a running list of them at clubcountryusa.com to, to re-shout myself out again. But these places are deserving of your business, and, and specifically because they support soccer in Nashville. Fleet Street has been my go-to for many years uh, for Arsenal uh, matches. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably not been super happy all the time. It's, I often Arsenal. leave sad. You walk out of the basement into the sunlight, and it just exposes all of your sadness all at once. It just hits you. But it's a great place, and it's a it's a refuge during the contest with some mean fish and chips as well. But uh, we are fellow West, West Nashvilleians, and I can vouch for a number of those spots around there on 51st Avenue, too. Good, uh, good stuff. Um, I will stick with the purpose of this segment and and actually give you content. Although I respect. Uh, wow, wow what, a what a road! What a road! It's about as, as tough as I get. Uh, there's a great article in the Athletic. Um, it, uh, again, time is a flat circle for me for the past couple of weeks. It ran sometime in the past two weeks. I think it was five or six days ago. I read it a couple days ago. Not too long. Ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Paul Tenorio piece on Inter Miami, and, and the headline was: "We launched a brand, not a team, inside Inter Miami's disastrous start in MLS." And if you want to have a little bit of schadenfreude and, and compare expansion rivals, especially after that Miami loss. You can look at the big picture where Nashville's clearly ahead. Um, the article exposes major conflict within the major owners of the ownership group. Uh, called the meeting with Don Garber essentially a mediation at one point, uh, and that was the meeting where the ownership group revealed uh, that there had been rules lapses, to say the least. Um, it, it talks about some of the causes of the issues Miami had, such as staffing issues, leading to leadership being spread thin. Paul McDonough was both leading player personnel and going down and choosing, you know, locker room fixtures. And uh, and, and not choosing a jersey sponsor, one of which Inter Miami still doesn't have per per the article. Miami yeah, that, that's, Colorado, yeah. the two teams without yeah. one. Yeah. It just building building a, a mirage, a facade, I think a lot of folks saw early on, but then, you know, after the 0-5 start, then they changed strategy, and all of a sudden they started buying up uh, players and then paying some under the table extra money, and um, it, it just caused a whole uh, storm of issues that will haunt them now for years, and, and the article from Paul Tenorio uh, paints a, a very vivid picture of those issues where I think we've we've seen the uh, the results of that, but it was pretty interesting to look at the processes and issues behind that. So strongly recommend uh, all coverage from The Athletic um, as you um, supplement your Club Country USA local coverage with good national Major League Soccer coverage. Uh, bold predictions, Tim, for Nashville's match in Atlanta. I'll go first and say I think there will be two total set-piece goals in this one. I think Nashville could leak another one. Atlanta's given up even more than Nashville has this year. Don't know who scores them. Don't know what the final score is going to be. Uh, <laughs> but I will say 
two goals off set pieces. Yeah, this is a tough one because of what we've seen from both of these teams over the course of, of their two games, not just this year, but their, their set last year. And, and what we've seen over, over the course of the season where Atlanta has gone from pretty horrible to reasonably good. I think Atlanta is, is going to exceed its expected goals this game, uh, which, as I previously mentioned, they have rarely done so far this year. And the question for Nashville is, is going to be whether NSC can can really kind of win that XG battle in order to win the game. Well, we covered a lot of ground tonight. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you're still with us here, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Thanks to ESPN 94.9. For the highlights we heard, please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, give us each a follow on Twitter. And be sure to also follow the 440 Sports Network for all the greatest local podcasts, music, talent, and perspective on local teams here in Music City. Tim, this was fun. Let's do it again next week. Oh, I'll think about it. Well, I took two weeks off, so you're you're due. <laughs> you're due for a hibernation at some point if you want. Uh, but please don't make me don't make me host this with Braden. <laughs> Just kidding, I, Braden. It, it's rough. It's rough. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, thanks for putting in the work the last couple of weeks. Thanks to Braden for uh, for filling in for me, and we will talk to you guys again soon. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere for a while. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs>